0: Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Megan Greth, Director of Marketing and Business Development at ARX, and Tig Prenderville, General Manager at ARX. With a Bachelors of Science, Megan has been in the sector for around 15 years. She's now responsible for market assessment and strategic selection of new projects that will benefit from ARX's drug de- delivery technologies. And with a background in bioengineering, Ty has worked in manufacturing and operations since the mid-90s, ultimately progressing to his current role as head of ARX. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello.
1: Hello, thanks
0: for having us. Yep, absolute pleasure. And uh, just to start off with, um, it'd be great to hear a bit about your backgrounds in terms of how you got into the sector and and ultimately where you are today. And Megan, if we could start with you and then pass to tag, that that would be great.
1: Sure, Um, so a bit about me. Uh, I graduated from Penn State University and I am a Pennsylvania girl. So I grew up in Pennsylvania, Went to school in Pennsylvania and then um, I did get my first job in Pennsylvania. I started with our parent company called Adhesives Research and um, I was always kind of interested in pharmaceuticals and interested in pharmaceutical sales and what I liked about Adhesives Research is that they had a pharmaceutical division where they custom develop products for the pharmaceutical industry So at that time, uh, when I was graduating college, it just seemed a little bit more interesting to me to be in custom product development rather than just selling the same or similar products all the time. Um, So I was with Adhesives Research uh, for about six years before moving over to business manager of ARX, and I've been with ARX ever since 2012. And I am proud to say uh, that we've seen the company grow and change in significant ways since then, uh, with some new products, uh, obtaining FDA approval just within the past year.
0: Um, so it's been a fun ride. Thank you, Megan. And Ty, it'd be great to hear your background as well.
2: Yeah, so um, my background is, is, is much different. Um, I'm schooled. I graduated University College Dublin in Ireland uh, with an engineering degree and then went to continued studying and I did a master's in bioengineering and that's where I suppose that I got uh, an, an affinity and a fondness towards anything bio or medical related. Uh, at the time though when I, I left college after that uh, master's degree the, the opportunities in Ireland at the time you know uh, uh, were not um, were not great. Ireland has, is a very cyclical country where opportunities come and go. A very small company as, as you know the if the denominator of an equation is small, then small variations can really affect um, the overall. So I went into industry, uh, uh, making big pieces of equipment, pieces of steel, gears, motors, sensors, and things like that. And I stayed there for about uh, uh, about 10 years. After the first three years in Ireland, I did move to the United States, the head office, the head, the head manufacturing facility here in Baltimore. And, and I've been in Baltimore since. Mm-hmm. About 10 years into the industrial engineering manufacturing job, uh, we we decided that things needed to change. And so we, we, we got very good at this um, enterprise philosophy called Lean. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, and I got very good at that. And I, I, I'm, I'm not bragging, but we as a company got good at it. And I personally got good at, good at it. And then I took the opportunity to become a Lean consultant. Not at all with the desire to be in pharmaceuticals, but real, real quickly it became very obvious that pharmaceutical companies needed some lean help, and I spent about five years consulting in operations in uh, pharmaceuticals, and that's where I got my pharmaceutical chops really. And then uh, from that, I, I also started at ARX around the same time as Megan in two thousand and twelve, um, and 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 I'm equally as proud of of the growth that we've had and and. Uh, approved products that are on the market now and not just uh, approved products but but some are really impactful to the patient's life and they wouldn't exist without the technology that uh, we we have here so yeah that's that's me
0: that's great thank you thank you for that and i have a few follow-up questions as well but before i go on to that um it'd be great if uh you know maybe self can just give the listener a bit of an overview of arx as a business you know what you guys do in what you you specialize
2: in yeah so so i'll start and megan will jump in because um she she has a, a longer history but um you know wh- what what we specialize in is in um formulating and manufacturing for the market drug product specifically in two dosage forms one being dissolvable film and the second being transdermal patches so really a good way to look at it is we're we we are we are uh, pushing the drug through a membrane. In some cases, the epidermis; in the other cases, the buccal or the sublingual uh, skin, for want of a better word. And where and, you know the whole thing is avoid the first pass, avoid anything being being filtered out by the liver, by the by the intestines, whatever. Get the you know bypass the first uh, impediments to getting a drug into the system. Um, and 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 I, I will I will further let you know that the reason that we do that is Megan had alluded to, we have a parent company called Adhesives Research. And uh, what they do and what they've spent uh, since 1960 doing is adhesives and films and things like that. And it was a natural progression about 15 years ago when we were making material, like excipient material, non-active loaded material for the drug, the pharmaceutical business. It was a logical step just to take the next step and say, well, why are we doing that? Why don't we just put the active ingredient into the drug adhesive or onto the patch or whatever? And and ARX was spun off as a a separate company uh, back in 2008 or 2006 or 2008. uh, I'm not sure which. uh, I'll let Megan add to that.
1: Yeah, I think that was a pretty good summary. The only other thing I would add, and we can certainly get into later, is just then kind of our evolution as a Contract man uh, manufacturer or dosage form provider because um, we really started from taking an idea or formulation from our customers and and manufacturing the products to moving towards being a fully integrated supplier offering not only our formulation expertise but expertise around uh, what we believe um, the properties are and what would be good molecules to penetrate both the mucosa and the skin um, so part of that now is leading to uh, new product ideation as well
0: very good and um megan now i'm gonna ask you actually you mentioned uh, kind of uh, F, like fda approvals and, and product approvals uh, without obviously breaking any confidence Are you able to share anything about the types of products that you've been involved with and that have, that have ultimately come to market to help patients is is that something you're able to share
1: um, so, we can't share exactly what products, um, but I think maybe we can talk general therapeutic categories. Um, mm-hmm. Because, to be honest, for thin film and transdermal, unfortunately, yet there's not that many different types of categories. But we are in the opioid addiction space, and we are also in more uh, CNS type treatments and pain treatments as well. Mm-hmm. That, that's for approved products. Um, there's certainly more in. Development and I'd say most of those uh, more recently fall into the CNS space.
0: Okay, great. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to ask you about soluble thin films, and I read about them being the kind of the next generation of, of drug development. I'm not a technical person or a scientist by trade, but I was just interested in if you could talk a little bit about that kind of technology that you have in, in that particular area.
1: Sure. So. Really, the thin film dosage form um, has evolved over the years as well, and um, it kind of matches the evolution of our business. So initially, thin film was used as a breath freshener in the early 2000s. There was the Listerine breast strip and the Altoids breath strip. And then most people may have become familiar with the product as a delivery system for OTC, cough and cold medicines. Uh, so we were a part of that business. Um... And we actually believe the films that we formulated at that time were the first thin films launched in the U.S. for systemic drug delivery. Um, But those films were oral. We kind of refer to them as oral thin films because the film was placed on the tongue and the drug was swallowed. Uh, Where our, our business has evolved today is really to be in more mucosal delivery. So whether it be sublingual or buccal, uh, we're trying to focus on, as Tig mentioned earlier, avoiding the first-pass metabolism and really leveraging the benefits of the dosage forms in the products we design. Some things that we've been proud of is we've taken several drugs that are delivered currently via an injectable form and put them in a um, mucosal film format and uh, been able to deliver them to the, pa- the drug to the patient in that manner.
0: So interesting. And are you seeing more of that kind of almost drug repurposing where you're taking a, a traditional uh, dosage delivery form and you're being asked to repurpose them into something, I suppose, more more patient friendly? Are you seeing that as a bit of a trend in, in your business?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there um, was a guidance put out by the FDA last year around patient um, centricity. And then also, as more thin film products are approved by the FDA, I think more development scientists in the pharmaceutical industry is really starting to recognize it as a dosage form, realize its benefits, and then when they see some issues pop up during drug development, um, thin film becomes a contender for them to start to look at as a potential solution.
0: That's so interesting. You learn something new every day, so thank you for sharing. (laughs) And uh, Tyg, I wanted to just go back a little bit around you. Were you talking about your experience in uh, being a lean consultant and one of the things i'm really interested in is your take on both when you arrived in i suppose the pharmaceutical sector and and how far it was away from what you class is is lean and also i suppose linked to that the strides that the industry has made but also you guys as a business have made in terms of i suppose getting towards a more uh lean way of producing products in the industry so any any thoughts on that would be really really interesting
2: yeah, um, I have many. Uh, <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> uh, so when I, when I first uh, went into the, pharmacy, the pharmaceutical sector uh, consulting, the first thing that hits you straight away, uh, well, there's two things. The first thing is everything is very slow. And the second <laughs> thing is everybody is afraid of, you know, when they talk about, they'll talk about GMPs and they'll do the, They'll do the air quotes, or they might whisper it as if they're whispering, you know, Voldemort from Harry Potter. Oh, you can't do that, please. And everyone was so afraid of it. They were so afraid of change control because they were just so afraid of change, and that isn't eradicated from the industry. It's still very, very alive. Um. So, so, uh, they would my the the, the primary things that I saw was there's a way of doing it. Let's not change it. Because of you know FDA GMPs don't want to change stuff, right? And that was a battle, especially when you were when you were being relied upon to to make that change. And most of the people there wouldn't want to make the change, not because they're afraid of change. It's just they're afraid if they do it badly. And you know a, a change control executed incorrectly can shut, you, shut can shut you down. So that was the the primary challenge. Now the the Another observation from the pharmaceutical industry at the time is that they were well advanced with respect to information management. So lean will have lean, lean had, it categorizes value in three different buckets, physical transformation, which is, you know, pressing the tablet, problem solving, which in pharmaceuticals could be, you know, the formulation development, solving the problem. And then there's a third bucket called information management. The Pharmaceutical industry does a very good job there. You know, uh, back in the, back in the, uh, early 2000s, I used to spend a lot of time down in Puerto Rico in labs, and they were fully uh, electronic labs, no paper, paperless labs. It it, it was a joy to watch because everything was validated and you put something on a scale or you did a test and it it all went to the right place. So their information management, they were well ahead of everybody else. But with respect to wanting to make changes, it's not and and even today, even as a general manager of a pharmaceutical company today, making changes is is scary
0: H- what strides have been made in that time, i suppose, in your own business and you know it its't I, I love what you said there you know when you came in the sector and you saw that it was slow and and I do think the sector uh, and supply chain in particular is is slower to adopt to say technology and and more efficient ways of doing things than say say the automotive industry as an example so do you think the industry's in a I suppose a much better state now than it was ten years ago. Do you think there's been huge strides made in that time?
2: I, 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 I honestly, I don't know about the entire sector. I do know that the level of sophisticated control on manufacturing processes now, basically, the. The time to run a process is the recipe time or the required time, you know, uh, both on a batch record or something like that. I know all companies um, have operational excellence programs. They didn't back uh, 10, 15 years ago. You quite often see people at these big companies All big pharma companies will have a vice president of operational excellence and a whole bunch of associate directors of operational excellence. Where they're, me- where they're measuring their equipments, you know, OEE or their downtime or their change over time or their defect rate. You know, that has permeated into the industry, no doubt. But since I stopped consulting, to be honest, I, I haven't seen a lot of other companies. Uh, I-, I only know what we're trying to do here.
0: That's fine. That's a really interesting kind of opinion on on the sector as well. There. And I was going to ask again for you specifically, Tiger around your I suppose own personal journey from being, uh, I suppose, having that operational background and then becoming in a consulting and then ultimately now running a business and presumably in charge of all the key business functions at ARX. And I'm curious to know how you found that journey and and what you found it, you know, it like to run run an entire uh, a business now.
2: Probably the first time I'm going to reflect on that, but uh, yeah. I think that the word journey I, I I don't know if it's been a journey to be honest what has it been it's just been a it's more been a ride shall we say um, so you, you you know you you have a life right and you get up in the morning to do something and you start getting up in the morning to do entry-level things when you're out of college and then all of a sudden you wake up in the morning and you're going in and you're deciding a a very, very critical strategic issue for the company. So I, I have maybe it has been a journey. I haven't really realized it was a journey. Um, it's definitely been a ride, but I suppose the the, the crux of your question would, would would be yes along the way responsibility is is increased as you go. Then you jump into the pharmaceutical space and the responsibility isn't lost on me be fair we patients and uh, uh, what we try and send the message to people is here what are we doing what we're we doing we're making medicines for sick people you can never forget that you're making medicines for sick people and i suppose that responsibility is real right you know you cut some corners making widgets is one thing you cut some corners here and someone helps you cut the corners that's fraud uh, if not a conspiracy and your name is on something and all of that so there is an awesome responsibility to put the patient first and 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 that is i think um very unique to the pharmaceutical space
0: i love i love what you said there and i, I didn't mean to catch you out with that question or anything else and it was great to almost hear you trying to almost self-reflect on it and i love what you said there about you know just never forgetting that you're making patients for sick people i think that's something that can often get lost in the day-to-day of being in the supply chain of the pharma and biotech space that you're so busy racing ahead that you often forget the purpose uh, behind it also. I think that's a really, uh, a really interesting point. And, and Meg, I'll, I'll turn the kind of attention to you. I'm, I'm interested to know about um, how COVID has impacted the business in terms of, um, you know, have, have you guys been busier as a result of COVID or maybe it hasn't impacted you in any way? Just curious to see how how you guys have, have found the last year or so.
1: Yeah. Uh, So I certainly could say we've been busier. It was just kind of the situation where our commercial products were growing already. But also, unfortunately, as a side effect of COVID, it does seem like the opioid addiction market is growing as well. So there was some additional demand for product um, in that space. Then from more of a non-commercial standpoint from early development programs, um, I of course am happy to report that I haven't really seen interest in our dosage forms slow down either. We've managed to get through the past year and especially the past couple of months with everybody working as much as they (laughs) they physically can and understanding that people have limitations at home now and uh, with their family members and such with with their children and that they've never had before so we've asked a lot of our, of our associates to keep everything moving both from a product development and production standpoint over the past couple of months but i'm happy to report we've been able to do so um so no negative impacts i'd say on our business um just yeah. besides keeping everybody busy
2: yeah i'll just jump in and and and, and then from, from the other side i'm sure megan is coming at it from the customer facing side i, I i'll give a little Update on from the supplier facing side, really, I believe the Im- the impact is from the supply to us, mm-hmm. as opposed to how we supply our customers, right? Um, because you know when COVID hits, we were clever enough. I believe we were clever. The time will tell. Uh, you know, we we pre bought raw materials. We um we did the things we probably should have done. Uh, thankfully, but you never know. Sometimes we get we get called and we're said you can't have that material. In fact, there was one little anecdote which I thought was the humdinger. We use an excipient in one of our products and the supplier said can't send it to you anymore the u.s government has said they're not to sell it to anyone except one of the manufacturers of the vaccine so that kind of put us into a spin and we had to go find an alternative and and you know that's just the job right that's the that's the that's the job to keep things going but i thought that was a very interesting story uh uh, you know sometimes it's lost well covid isn't impacting anybody well when a supplier says that you can't have a critical excipient because it's being reserved for vaccine manufacturer. You, you, it, it, thankfully, it didn't impact us, but it made, you know, made someone's uh, week a little bit harder to go and find an, a, a replacement. Mm-hmm. And then the other aspect is uh, you're just losing manufacturing time. You're losing shifts. People are calling out. People are quarantining. Um, so really, you're kind of working seven days to get five days out because of the losses of shifts and things.
0: Yeah, look, it's, it's so interesting about the little anecdote there and the kind of, I suppose, the realities of the impact on the supply chain. Where some you know the, we can't supply you with a product because it's it's basically the supply is being bought up by the U.S. government. <laughs> so go go somewhere else to get it, which is uh, yeah, fascinating kind of side effect of, of some of the issues that uh, I suppose manufacturers like yourself have, have changed. changing. I wanted to uh, switch gear. And you know, obviously, you're both in leadership roles in in the sector that we we operate in. If you could both go back and give your 25 year old self some uh, some words of wisdom, what would you say? And you can decide who goes first. Megan,
2: <laughs> Megan doesn't have to go very far back. self. <laughs> so I we we let her start this one.
1: Okay. Um, well, I appreciate you saying that. It hasn't been that long. It's been some time, and I think I would. The biggest thing is just how quickly it goes by, you know. You especially in pharmaceuticals when you, I remember when I first started, and you start talking about the products being developed and launched in three to five to seven years, and you think, "Oh, wait a minute, <laughs> it takes that long. I'll never be around then." Um, and then, sure, surely enough, the time flies by, um, and you really have to take the time. I think to sit back and reflect on what you have done over the past couple of years uh, and what you have accomplished, because, yeah, it, it just goes by with a snap of a finger. Um, I think the other thing I would just tell myself is obviously don't doubt yourself. Um, the industry is changing and evolving and you're going to learn and grow with it. Um, so just be just be willing to learn and take what comes at you and you'll figure it out.
0: That's great advice there. And I am going to I'm going to pause there and say you've got a bit a bit more time to think about your answer. But Megan, I just want to follow up question there, I suppose. I've been really fortunate in the last year or so to interview uh, female business leaders in the sector like yourself. Um, so I'm also curious, kind of any advice for, uh, I suppose, women working in the sector that are you know looking to run departments and teams and get to senior management roles like yourself is it the same advice that you would give them or is there anything else that you've learned along the journey that has helped you um achieve the 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 success in your career you have to, to date
1: yeah i think um i've been really lucky to have some good mentors over the course of my career and those were both men and women um so that just encouraged me to to speak up to share my thoughts not only with them, but to others in the organization and to take more of a leadership position. So um, I, I know I was very lucky to have that that encouragement along the way. So my advice would just be to to others to, if they don't have that, try to really seek out and form that type of mentor within your organization. And it doesn't necessarily just have to be A manager that's above you or somebody else in management, it can be at all levels within the organization um, that you can can build relationships with because you're ultimately going to learn from everybody. You know, I even um, will learn from our operators because they know so much about the product. Um, They see it being run every day. They have questions. Um, They want to learn about the market. So, yeah, I just say don't take any relationship you have for granted.
0: I think it's terrific advice there, and thanks for, thanks for being so honest.
1: You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space.
0: Tie back to yourself, 20, your 25-year-old self, any, any advice you'd give him?
2: Yeah. That, uh, thanks for the extra couple of minutes. Uh, I needed. I think um, you know what I what I tell my I would tell myself to relax a little bit with respect to the small stuff. You know, they say don't sweat the small stuff. Uh, uh, when I was twenty five, I wish I didn't. I wish I I didn't. I wish I was more flexible. Uh, you know, quite frankly, I would have lost some opportunities because of uh, because of rigidity. You know, right? So you want to get from A to B. You know, you need to get to A. You want to get from A to B, but there's about there's a whole bunch of people contributing to it, and and maybe we don't take the path that I want, but we we do get there. That's just fine. And uh, I suppose that what I would give younger people who 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 feel like they want to go forward and drive organizations. You know, it's not going to it's not going to go the way you want it and and everyone is a stakeholder and and they may want to do slightly differently and if it doesn't if it doesn't knock the train off the tracks then you should give people their own you know autonomy individuality uh let them do it in, in per their own style because there's too many small things happen and if you let each one of meet you up it's just going to be a long long career
0: yeah i think that's a, it's a terrific piece of advice that and it's really because before i moved to the us i'd never heard that phrase, uh, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. I don't know what the British equivalent is, but I'd never heard it before. And I, I absolutely uh, you know, be, being, being a,
2: Growing up as a neighbor of the British, I don't know if the British have something. Like
0: <laughs> it was our language first, so the Americans probably just... Her, so. um, no, but I, I'd, I'd never heard that saying. And, I and you know, it's something I almost tell myself today, which is, you know, you can even running a business, you can get so caught up in... I don't know, the tone of an email, or, you know, well, what does that mean? Or, you know, some tiny little issue. And uh, you, you need to learn to relax, as you say, and, and let certain things go and, and let the team just, just uh, you know, get on with things. So I think that's a really good, good piece of advice. And and the next question I've got is. Well, well, that,
2: is let, let me just jump in there a second. I'll I, I, I finish it up then with giving credit to the, my predecessor here at uh, ARX. He, had, he used to say something. Um, you know, uh, this too shall pass, right? And and, and I do uh, rely on that quite uh, frequently. You know, when, when you're in the eye of a storm, everything seems chaotic. So, you know, in the pharmaceutical industry, you can have things as serious as, you know, a bad adverse event or there's a potential recall or all of the bad stuff that can happen. And you just, you just it will pass and nothing's as good as it seems and nothing's as bad as it seems. And, uh, you know, you know, there is a lot of uh uh amplitude on the noise graph every day. But if you take it from month to month, year to year, it's a pretty straight line.
0: Yeah, I love that, you know, this too. It's quite similar to uh, you know, the the kind of, you know, will will you care about this next week? <laughs> Which is <laughs> someone, you know, I'm writing an email where I'm annoyed with something and you know, just sleep on it and if I'm still not bothered about it a week later I'll send it. But I think that's uh, it's similar type of thing so I'm going to steal that from you Tiger. I'm def- definitely going to use that one so a question to you both and you can answer it in, in which order you guys want but h- how would your best friend describe you in three words <laughs> I'm going to ask ty to go first because I I, I I put Megan on the spot before so I'll, I'll do the same to you now Tiger. um oh
2: that's a tough one. Three words. Are they, are, are, must we link the three words together to be a, a cogent statement? Or can we just throw three? No, 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 no. They
0: could just be three completely disconnected words. But, yeah.
2: I would say, uh, think about, I would say, uh, reliable will be one. Fun, I hope. <laughs> uh, I laugh a lot and I have a lot of fun with people. And I would hope, uh, honest. I'm going to throw the word honest out there. I I, uh, I try and be.
0: <laughs> thank you Megan yeah
1: I think he did pretty good the, one, the other <laughs> thing I might add about him maybe is empathetic because he is a pretty empathetic leader um, as well so that's one thing I value um, okay now I guess I have to yeah. I have to answer the question <laughs> uh, I hope they would say loyal and dedicated maybe that's kind of the same thing or committed and loyal um,
2: well, I, I, am not going to claim to be Megan's best friend, but I am a friend, and I have a word. I have a word in my head that I hope she says next. Oh
1: no. Um, well, can you tell me? Because no. I <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: oh
1: what a little a They probably say like I'm a little bit of a worry wart, and a little
2: anxious,
0: just...
1: maybe. <laughs> I don't know. What's, what's the word?
2: Well, the, the, the word I was going to use is dogged. What? Dogged. <laughs> Megan is, uh, if Megan wants to do something, it's like Scrap. a dog with a bone in its mouth. You're not getting <laughs> the bone out of that dog's mouth. Like scrappy and tenacious, like that, yeah, those types yeah, of characteristics. Yeah. Um, there's been many times, uh, I, I, this is what <laughs> I, I didn't realize we were going to go down this path, yeah, but good. there's been many times I've been on the way home from work and I'm taking a call in the car with Megan and it ends with... It ends not. It doesn't end well because (laughs) pressing the same button over and over again. But it always starts very well the next day. So uh, that's good. She's generally right. is what I can say.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Megan, I've had the pleasure of meeting you a few times as well, and I think you're very. I mean, I have to say, a very friendly person, which is you, you. You always come across as very friendly, which I know it's a bit of a softer one, but I think that's definitely you know i likewise can't claim to be your best friend but that you do always come across like that as well so and the, so we've got a couple of minutes left and i wanted to just talk about I suppose the sector at large in and, and the future ahead obviously in time of recording we're at the start of, of 2021 and i'm sure we've got a you've got a very busy year ahead so um i suppose two aspects one you know what is the what does the future look like for ARx you know in 2021? and beyond and and also any thoughts on i suppose bigger shifts and changes uh, that you're seeing in the sector right now that you expect to happen uh again in 2021 or, or maybe beyond so uh megan i don't know if you want to talk about arx and you know what's on the horizon for you guys as a business and uh and, and tiger if you could want to pick up i suppose the the bigger picture macro stuff you know or, or feel free to strip it you know to do it the other way around sure do you want to
1: talk yeah. we have a product that we, or our customer intends to product, uh, file a product in yeah. Q1 of so I, I Actually, uh, I'll take you
2: that. up on your offer to switch it around. I think um, I'll, I'll give you what is in our future from an ARX standpoint. So uh, we, we are growing, we're expanding, we're building a new building, we're putting more equipment in. So, you know, we are, you know, we are a small company. So growth is, your growth is always the objective of a small company. And we grow by, by commercial launches, right? So in the last four or five years, we've launched four or five products. And, you know, in, 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 in pharmaceutical land, you know, you don't need more than one or two every year to keep you growing on the double-digit KGAR, right? And, and, and that's our objective. So uh, in the last four or five years, we've launched four or five products. This coming year, in, in 2021, there will be a, an NDA filed with the FDA. So that will take care of the launch next year. And, and we have a healthy backlog that, that we continue to push. So, you know, You know the pharmaceutical sector is so large that you don't really need a very large piece of the pie in order for a company like, like us to continue to grow. So that's kind of an overall of our growth and our expansion. And the expansion is both in capacity and capability. So we are adding more manufacturing capacity and we're adding additional capabilities to to be a a fully integrated supplier all the way. You, you your show is molecule to market. Uh, that's what we want to be. We we have a molecule. Either we we um, surface a molecule or a potential customer surfaces a molecule, and they don't have to go anywhere else to get that drug product filed and to market. And, just to,
0: and- just a quick pause there. I'm really curious to know. You know you talk there about obviously the four to five commercial product and and launch and how at an operational level what's the step change like when that happens do you presumably you get a bit of time in advance to think you know that product's going to go to market but it can always fail as well right so i'm just interested to know is it is it a little bit chicken and egg when you're in that position you know if you've got say a phase three product that is looking really positive and you know and, and, and the sponsor wants you to scale up to commercial launch how how do you deal with that and or is it maybe maybe i'm just it's i'm making more complicated than it is no you're not
2: you you know your 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 reference to chicken and egg is 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 spot on it absolutely is and and let's be honest about it you know we have customers that tell us their next product is going to be five billion dollars right and 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 is it you know yeah (laughs) as, as my daughter would say is it really that you know is it really going to be large um We all see the statistics. We all see that I'm going to make up a number. I'm sure you will know the statistic, but but, by the time something gets uh, 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 from phase one to phase two to phase three, there are fallout rates. I'm not going to give you a number, but there are fallout rates and they're not insignificant. They're not trivial. Um, So, yes, so a, a product is going to market or a product is being filed. And, you know, we had the discussion, well, do we have the capacity for this product? And we say, yes, we do. Okay, great. No, we don't. Well, what do we need? We need to invest forty five million dollars. Well, hold on a second. Let's wait and see. Is it approved first? But if it's approved, then you're behind the eight ball. So it is a it is an incredible balancing act. It is an incredible balancing act to balance to balance everything.
0: It is the fact that you specialize in a couple of delivery areas. Presumably that's helpful that you've. You're not trying to do every type of dosage form on the planet, right? From what I've understood about your business, does that so you you're kind of in reinvesting in the same areas where you've already got expertise and capacity, as opposed to building something completely new, or or maybe you do you do face that from time to time where you have to create a completely new, uh, I suppose line for a, for a client
2: yeah uh, so yes so a, a mixture right so yes so our expansion right now is putting in a, existing technology and some new technology right and and uh listen you know the let's talk a little bit about these dosage forms right so the the way they're made so the filament transdermal do need a little bit of injection of new technology there are there are dosage form weaknesses here and and sometimes uh and one in particular would be the yield so you know tableting yield is always the goal right that's in the 90s so film technology typical traditional film technology is not because you make it in big long rolls and you cut off the edges and you cut them and then you cut them the other way and 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 holistically like a, a traditional coating packaging process could be in the, in this in the 60s from a yield standpoint so uh, unless we 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 you know fulfill our new technology objectives as well you know we, we we we'll be okay if we don't but we see we see that as a huge competitive ad, advantage so so you you know it, it's a bit of both so we are adding existing technology from a capacity standpoint but we're also investing in new technology to address some of the dotage form weaknesses
1: mm-hmm. yeah and and um, that product i mentioned that we hope to have filed early in 2021 does have that new manufacturing technology, so that is something uh, that our team has worked very quickly to develop. So not only from a formulation development, product design standpoint, but we also had to design the manufacturing equipment and, and order and install and qualify the manufacturing equipment. Yeah. So, so
2: so kudos to everyone, and, yeah. and I, I think maybe just to then I stop talking to Megan to talk about the overall thing. Uh, you know, put that into context. So the the problem that we were trying to fix for this product that's going to be filed in february is there was a, a, a formulation challenge a loading challenge it was it's in it's dosed in micro, micrograms and 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 it was a very expensive api so the yields had to be higher right traditional film manufacturing processes would not have succeeded with this product it would have failed it would not have been feasible so the new technology that we've developed is going to be filed in 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 q1 of this year and and it's in great it's in great shape so we set out to to address some of the dosage form weaknesses which is you know there, there was a lower limit to what you could load now that lower limit is driven down further so it's after opening up more market if there's a drug that needs to be dosed in micrograms we can do that now whereas previous you probably couldn't and, uh, and the yields are now approaching approaching tabling yields. So we're very happy with the new technology that we have.
0: Very good, thank you for that. And, and Megan, just some final thoughts on you in terms of the wider sector and any other big trends or changes that you see happening or expect to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think it's anything new, but people do still ask and approach us about biologics and then more recently, vaccines. Um, So we aren't quite there yet, to be honest, because obviously most of those are large molecules that um, we haven't found a way yet to penetrate the skin or the mucosal tissue, but continues to remain interesting and on our radar uh, as far as new technology development. And the other thing I've noticed, um, and I can't exactly pinpoint to why or where the trend might have come from, but really over the past year, we've had some interest in um, NCEs. More so than we've had over the past five years. Um, so obviously those those types of applications are really interesting to the company. We do acknowledge that the success rate and the would be lower and then the fallout rate would be higher. But at the same time, if the, the NCE has the need for our dosage form, we're not gonna turn it away and say no um, if we believe that we can actually help the delivery of the molecule. So that was another interesting trend. And I've also noticed So, as we mentioned before, we do the two dosage forms, thin films and transdermal patches. Kind of opposite uh, dosage forms in the way that transdermal has been around for 30, 35 years as a relatively established technology. Um, Still, I'd say a rather small number of products approved by the FDA compared to tablets, capsules, injectables. But... Again, over the past five, 10 years, there haven't been a lot of transdermal patches approved um, or even filed with the FDA, but I'm also noticing a, a re-interest in that technology as well. So we have some early stage patches in development and a lot of them, and or I should say a lot, but some of them are for, for those uh, NCE molecules that I mentioned.
2: Can I just um, add to what Megan said about the interest in, uh, in NCEs? I think it's indicative of... The stellar work i think that the film and transdermal companies have done you know there's, there's a handful of us and and I, and what i mean by that is maybe three or four years ago uh, a team of pharmaceutical scientists at a big pharma company when they had an nce you know you know where they go they go tablet capsule let's just do it and hopefully it works but maybe now because of the success stories of film and transdermal, and and because of all the efforts that the companies are by you know pushing their own agenda, that maybe we're at a point where pharmaceutical um, f- uh, formulation scientists, film and transdermal is on their radar first time round, as opposed to being well, it didn't work with a tablet, so now let's go see if something else works. Maybe maybe it's not all the way down at the bottom of the list as a dosage form.
0: Super interesting and unbelievably we're, we're over on time because i've taken up a big chunk of your time but i wanted to say congratulations on the continued success of the business at arx it sounds like you guys are are doing some really interesting uh, things in terms of technology and development but also obviously playing your role in helping bring bring drugs to markets to to very sick patients so thank you both um, this has been a lot of fun <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I imagine really you guys have I think I imagine you guys are a hoot to have a drink with as well, based on this conversation. So, um,
1: if we ever have CPHI, I know, I know we could we meet. For
2: sure. We're like yeah. uh, we're like uh, uh, we're, 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 we're like um, re- race horses or greyhounds at the starting <laughs> in the starting box. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we we always did like getting out to the conferences, CPHI, DDP you know, all, all of them. We, we really enjoy them and we enjoy meeting people and telling people our story. Uh, that's been curtailed this year. I can't wait for it to get back on.
0: Yeah, likewise. And uh, I certainly look forward to, to obviously seeing you again, Megan, and meeting yourself, Tigan Thank you both for being guests on Molecule to Market. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcast or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter and we will see you again next week.
1: Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.